As soon as Buckingham Palace had announced that Queen Elizabeth II had died at the age of 96, tributes began flooding in right across the world. That would have been very appropriate as well. After all, she was the world's longest reigning monarch, and in the United Kingdom, a figurehead for us for those seven decades. That reign that began in 1952 was seen as bringing stability and continuity to the United Kingdom, and that's despite all of the many changes that had happened in the 20th and now well into the 21st century also. British Prime Minister Liz Truss spoke for all of us when she said, the death of Her Majesty the Queen is a huge shock to the nation and to the world. Queen Elizabeth II was the rock in which modern Britain was built. Our country has grown and flourished under her reign. And when you consider it and pedal back into just the other week, it must have been quite a shock for Liz Truss herself. Because she'd been received by the Queen at Balmoral as the 15th person to serve as Prime Minister during the Queen's long reign, and yet that was only two days before her death that she had met her. It's an aged person that in the final minutes of the meeting tonight that I am turning to, an aged person that we read off in the Word of God. A man in Scripture by the name of Barzillai, he was 80 years of age, and he realized that he's very vulnerable at this particular juncture in his life, that he's not going to live on earth for much longer. In fact, he knew that his time was almost up. If he had an egg timer representing his life, he knew that the grains of sand in that egg timer were almost entirely through, and soon he would be led in his grave. And so when his friend, King David, tried to persuade Barzillai, I'm going back to Jerusalem, Barzillai, and I want you as a trusted friend and advisor to come back with me to the great city of Jerusalem, an answer comes back to that request from this 80-year-old campaigner, and it's an answer that is steeped in realism. He looked David in the eye, and he said, how long have I to live? We've already been thinking along those lines tonight in the earlier part of this meeting. How long have I to live? And I'm sure he was thinking back then, you know, a boy like me, 80 years of age, needs to be thinking about other things. While on earth, I need to think about eternity. And that's true of you, and that's true of me. While we're here on earth, We need to be thinking about eternity, and we're wise if at this moment in time we're asking ourselves the question soberly before Almighty God, what Barzillai said, how long have I to live? Do you know what the answer is? You would find it on the outer wall, the first main point that I am making here. Whatever length of time we have on earth, it is short. Barzillai asked, how long, how long have I to live? Maybe long isn't really the word. More like what we read about in Psalm 89 in the verse 47, remember how short my time is. Because as I open the Bible and I leaf through the pages and read all it has to say, the emphasis, the great emphasis in the Word of God is not on the length of my time, but on the shortness of my time. 
We're all familiar with what Psalm 90 and 10 says, that the potential lifespan, we don't all get to it, some get beyond it, of every human being is four, three score years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, yet is their strength, labor and sorrow. And here's what the psalmist says, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Seventy years, eighty years, some people haven't got anywhere near it. Others have got right there. But say you're a child. And you're thinking, somebody 70, 80 years of age, whoa, they have lived forever. And you're thinking, that's an incredible age. How did they ever get as far as that? Well, over the last 70 or 80 years, our queens reign and 10 years more. We have so many different inventions came along and articles released. Microwave oven, 1955, communication satellites. In 1962, the internet. 1969, the PC, personal computer. 1977. GPS, where would we be without that? Probably lost most of the time. 1978. CD came out. Would you believe it? Only in 1982. And face transplants, if you're up for one, I probably need one. I'll not say anything about you, but that was in 2005. All of these things and so many others. But anybody who has lived through all of this and more as well, you know what? They don't think it was long because they will tell you, I remember such and such an event as though it were yesterday. And of course, 70 years in a line of endless years, eternity beyond the grave, 70 years in comparison to eternity are really nothing at all. No wonder Job said that his life was swifter than a weaver's shuttle and is spent without hope in Job 7 and 6. And then in Job 8 and 9, the next chapter, our days upon earth are a shadow, the psalm said, in Psalm 39 in verse 5, that was made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is nothing before thee. And then we have the New Testament writer James, and he says, and he's talking really about, well, we could take the picture of a kettle, The steam coming out of a kettle, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And you know what? It's not just old people in our estimate who have died over the last few weeks. Our brother has referenced another man there, but we have had three-year-olds, we have had ten-year-olds, we have had twenty-one-year-olds, we have had thirty-five-year-olds, thirty-nine-year-olds, Fairest flowers soon decay, the hymn writer said. Youth and beauty pass away. Oh, you have not long to stay. Be in time. While God's Spirit bids you come, sinner, don't longer roam, lest you seal that hopeless doom. Be in time. The truth is, whatever length of time we have left on this earth, it is short, shorter than we think, and shortening by the second. It is short. That's the first thing. Whatever length of time we have on earth, it is short. The second, whatever length of time we have on earth, we must prepare for eternity now. We must prepare for eternity now. Back to Barzillai's question, that 80-year-old speaking to David, how long have I to live? People today, what are they doing? They're relying that if I don't get right with God in time on earth while I breath in my body, they're relying on a second chance beyond 
degree of some kind of mercy that God hasn't spoken about, some way of salvation, kind of a, a back entrance into heaven that the Bible never discusses. The truth is, after this life, there is no further chance of salvation. That's why we need to prepare to meet God now. Our Lord Jesus introduced us to, well, we could call him a typical man, and that was in Luke chapter 12. We call him the rich fool, but really he represents all of us, whether we're rich or poorly off. The man thought, we're told in Scripture, within himself, and he said, what shall I do? Because I've no room whereby to bestow my fruits. And he said, oh, this is the conclusion. Here's what I'll do. I'll pull down the barns that I have, build even greater ones, and there I'll bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods led up for many years. So he's looking into the future, thinking it's all his. Many years, take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. And so he has drafted his plans, and they're vast, and they're stretching over some considerable time. But what he didn't know, God had already drawn the boundary line for his life, and his life ended that very night. And here he is, planning, 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 but God had determined that that life would end within ours. I don't know how long or short a time I have left, and nor do you. What if it should be only ours? What if it should be tonight? Once earth is exited and eternity entered, it is too late to be saved. That old rustic farmer, plowman, prophet Amos had a word for us, and we had it in our church in Lisburn. It was a key text with Dr. Douglas for many years. Amos 4 and 12, prepare to meet thy God. Since we know we're going to meet him, since we know it's unavoidable disappointment, since we know our body will not last forever and our soul will live on, how long have I to live? What preparation have I made for eternity? We're given a warning, you know, in the Word of God in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and verse 7 and the verse 15 as well, and the verse 7 of chapter 4 too. So warning after warning after warning, the Holy Ghost is speaking to us, and He's saying, today, 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 that's the time to get right with God. Don't be hardening your hearts. An old hymn goes like this, decide for Christ today, thyself thou cannot save, help and guilty, dead and blind, no longer judgment breathe. Decide for Christ today, and God's salvation see. Yield soul and body, heart and will to Him who died for thee. How long have I to live? Well, the first thing we've noted is this, whatever length of time we have on earth, it is short. And then the second thing we noted, whatever length of time we have on earth, we must prepare for eternity now because no more time is guaranteed. The present is the day to call upon the Lord for salvation. The third and final thing that we're underlining tonight is this. Whatever length of time we have on this earth, there is only one way in which we can prepare for eternity. There is only one way 
in which we can prepare for eternity. It's sometimes interesting to ask people the question. Maybe you do it when you're not at their door and get into conversation about spiritual things and you ask them, do you want to go to heaven? And almost to a man, last man, the answer will be, oh, yes. Don't we all want to go to heaven? And the answer will be, yes. But if you dig a little deeper and you press people a little further to really think about the question, some will confess that they want to live after they die, but they're not sure really how excited they would be in heaven. If I were to take a survey of our society asking, what do you think heaven would be like? I would imagine I'd get a whole range of answers. We've just had a census there, and I'm sure many varied, weird, wonderful answers were submitted even when they weren't really being asked for on many occasions. But for those who have a little Bible knowledge, what's heaven about? Well, answers might sound something like this. Somebody will talk about streets of gold and mansions, big ones at that. Some people might say that in heaven, well, we all play harps and we sing to God day and night, a sort of grand worship service. Some might describe heaven as simply being present with God. And if I were to ask a follow-up question, and the follow-up question is, how does anybody get there? How do we get to heaven? The answers might be more interesting. They might actually be more distressing. Don't let anyone tell you there are two or three or four or more different ways that God has opened up to his heaven because he hasn't. Years ago, a blind man was reading his Braille Bible aloud on one of London's bridges, Westminster Bridge. A lot of activity over there in recent days, you know, and a crowd gathered to listen to this blind man reading his Braille Bible on Westminster Bridge. And suddenly, as he came down to the passage we were reading tonight, and he got as far as Acts 4 and verse 12, he lost his place. And he kept repeating the last three words that he had got to before he lost his place. And he's struggling to get back to where he was, and he's saying, none other name, none other name, none other name. Can you imagine? People in the crowd began to nudge each other. Some of them began to snigger a little. One man passing by out of the city, he didn't laugh. Because those words, none other name, none other name, latched onto his heart, and he couldn't sweep them out of his mind, and they kept speaking to him, none other name, the whole way home, until the point when he came to the Savior, realizing there is but one way to God's heaven, and that is through Christ, and through no one else, only, only Jesus saves Good works, doing the best you can, church attendance, church contributions, charitable duties, all of these things are commendable and brilliant in their own way, but, but they are not converting. They will never see you into heaven. God has told us how to get there, and you know something? It's as well you don't have to do all of these things as a passport into heaven. Otherwise, the dying thief, we were told in the hymn, rejoiced to see the fountain of blood in his day. That dying thief wouldn't have stood a chance. 
He was only breaths away from death. He couldn't start off on a big moral crusade, packing all of these things in now. Good works, doing the best he could, church attendance, church contributions. Not a chance he's dying. He's only a short time to go. But he got to heaven, not because of his good works, but because of the one good work that matters and that counts the work that Christ performed by His death on Calvary, the blood that He shed that would cover our sin. The moment, you see, a sinner believes, that moment and trusts in a crucified God, a pardon, at once He receives salvation in full through the blood. How long have I to live? It's a serious question. We all have to answer that, address that, and get ready to meet God.